If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. While you're opening up there, a couple things. Uh, first, you might notice, if you've been paying attention to the series that we're in, that Elijah seems to be getting the short shrift. Where in the world is he? He kind of pops in every now and then, and then he's gone. But don't worry. Uh, we're going to see him again uh, next week. But uh, there is an important aspect that's playing out in this in this mission, this ministry that Elijah has. And, and Ahab, this wicked, sinful king, is right at the center of it. You know, uh, Israel, and we'll see this as we get to the word today, Israel, uh, a lot of people would say, no, it's over for them, whatever. You know, they don't, they don't really believe, or they've, they've lost their belief, or something like that. But that's not what God said. God sent, sent his prophet, Elijah, in power. And we see how that power emanates, and we see how it affects uh, Ahab, and we see how it affects the people around him, and we'll see that this morning. So uh, never fear, it is a series on Elijah, but it never really was, right? It's a series on God and what God desires to reveal as we march through this life of one of his prophets. And so we find ourselves, again, Elijah-less, but God-filled, right? And so I pray that we might find something beautiful here. This morning, and maybe you might have an inkling of where we're going uh, because of some of the other parts of our worship, uh, the question, the main point is this, how can you make godly decisions? You know, uh, statistics would tell you a lot of different lies about decisions, and I'll tell you a fact. Every family unit and individual that I've talked to in the church has had to make a big decision since I've been here, and since I've been here, it's been three years. So, for our little microcosm of the world, in three years, every single one of y'all have had to make a relatively large decision. Your lives are not static. They're changing and evolving. Something happens, and it's either bad or good, but then that requires and necessitates something from you, a decision. And it's stressful sometimes and anxiety-laden. Sometimes it's not, but usually it is. Maybe you're in one of those right now maybe you're thinking where do I go next how can I carry on should I carry on what should I do now in this that or the other how do I know if I'm choosing the right way how can you make godly decisions it's the main question the main point that we see in today's text as we open it up this is 1 Kings chapter 22, let me pray first before we read it. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed, you are over all and in all, and you reveal yourself through all. And so, God, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would wield this word like a two-edged sword and that you would divide, you would cleave between bone and marrow, that you would change us, you would convict us of the sin that we certainly harbor within our hearts and that you would comfort us in the gospel that I pray we certainly harbor in our hearts. And so, Lord, grow us, mature us, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Kings chapter 22, starting with verse 1. We're going to read a few verses, but never fear. It is good for the soul. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, 
Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of Yahweh. Then the king of Israel gathered and the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of Yahweh, of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh, Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah the son of Chenanah made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says Yahweh, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me? But evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And Yahweh said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh, saying, I will entice him. And Yahweh said to him, By what means? And he said, I'll go out. And I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. Yahweh has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of Yahweh go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And thus says, uh, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, Yahweh has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all ye peoples. 
So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. The king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until that evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of Yahweh that had been spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his father, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God, it stands forever. Uh, This is the word. It was longer, and it has been longer, because of the narrative nature of the Bible in this portion of 1 Kings. But it is worthy of our reading in its entirety, for God has given it to us as a precious gift that we might be changed by his Holy Spirit. So, how in the world can we make godly decisions? Three points that I think will help us from today's text. First, consider God's word. Second, consider God's declarations. Third, consider God's control. First, then, one of the most natural ways for us to make godly decisions is to consider God's word. Verses 1 through 12. What decision do you have before you? That's what I was asking you earlier. Now, I'll ask a follow-up. Have you taken it to God's word? If so, you're good to go. But it's not always that simple, right? Uh, It feels more complicated when we try to go about this on big decisions and little ones. How do we do that? It's what we see here in verses 1 through 12. And in these beginning verses, we've got Jehoshaphat. That's the king of Judah visiting Ahab, who is the king of Israel. Judah, that's the southern kingdom housing the true lineage of Jesus Christ, the Davidic monarchy. Typically, Judah is more faithful to God. We see that represented in the word in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, 1 and 2 Samuel. We see these things as as you recognize that, that the Lord is moving through this tribe of Judah, David specifically in his line, the promises that would come. Israel, well, that's the northern kingdom, the one that broke off in rebellion. They are typically less faithful to God, but still housing his people. 
which if you recall, as I was mentioning earlier, is why Elijah is sent to the northern kingdom in the first place. Where God has people, he sends someone to go get them. That's the basis of what we see in the Bible. If God has someone, he's going to get them. God always gets his man or woman. That is who our God is. Now, as this visit between the two kings go, and maybe you might think this is actually quite natural, politics ensue. And that strong Syrian annoyance comes up yet again. Recall with me what we have been seeing uh, throughout uh, 1 Kings, or at least the latter chapters. Syria was really the beginning of the continuing war machine empire that would go by many names, culminate into Babylon, and be the destruction of both Israel and Judah. It was God's rod of judgment. So Isaiah tells us. But that's not yet. Only Ramoth Gilead comes up in these political talks. And the kings agree to partner together against these outsiders to take back that which God had rightfully given them. So I come back to the question. What decision do you have before you? What decision in your life have you taken it to God's word? Verse 5, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of Yahweh. Here's the follow-up. Did you really take that decision to God's word if you said yes? Or did you take it to people talking about God's word for you? including me. Jehoshaphat notices something that we might accidentally glance over, and that's the use of God's personal name, capital L-O-R-D. I remedied that for us in the reading of God's word. That capital L-O-R-D is representative of God's personal name, Yahweh, or maybe y'all are familiar with Jehovah. It's the personal name. God has given us his name, and we're still calling him Buddy when we read the Old Testament. Jehoshaphat doesn't want to call him Buddy. He doesn't like buddies. He likes Yahweh. And we saw that. I hope that you noticed it. Because as he is thinking about this personal name and using it, that capital L-O-R-D, in verse 6, when the 400 prophets tell the kings that the Lord... Not capital L-O-R-D, that is buddy, not, not Yahweh, the Lord. Yeah, the Lord's going to give it to you. Well, Jehoshaphat gets a little nervous. Verse 7 of our text, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of, of Yahweh whom we might inquire? Right? Where, where's the guy who's going to use God's personal name? I, I don't understand. Are, are, we, are we just going to rely on this? I don't know if I want to put my trust in that, is what Jehosh Jehoshaphat is saying. He wants to consider God's personal and true word from his prophets rather than the people pleasers of Ahab before making a most important decision of going to battle. So in comes Micaiah, the one whom, as hopefully you heard in the word, Ahab hates because he never seems to prophesy positively for the sinful king. Surprise, surprise, that God's true servant speaking God's true word would be despised by the sinful Ahab. 
Remember Ahab's words to Elijah? Have you found me? Oh, my enemy. This is God's servant. You're calling him enemy? It means you're calling God enemy. We have another of God's servants, Micaiah. Oh, I hate that guy, right? That's what Ahab is saying here. The heart of Ahab's frustration is simple because making a godly decision does not mean following your own desires. Let me say that again. Making a godly decision does not mean following your own desires. Don't you wish that was the case? But it's not because we are sinners in need of the grace and the leading of God. It is very important for us to begin to recognize this this most important principle that we find as, as God is revealing how we move forward in life. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. As we look to see how we might begin to make decisions, we must not be like Ahab, who surrounds ourselves in an echo chamber with those who are going to affirm our faulty decisions. I've said this from the pulpit like this. You shouldn't believe me on my word. You should look to God's word to see if what I am saying is true. But the same is true for those other things as well. You should not believe Facebook because Facebook is Facebook, y'all. Seriously? Listen, y'all are chuckling and nodding your heads, but you're getting all your information from Facebook. It's driving me bonkers. And I know it's driving y'all bonkers too because you're sifting through these things and you're saying, is any of this true or is it all just opinion? What about the news? Watch two news stations at the same time, even those that are politically agreeing. (laughs) They're totally different. What about books that aren't the Bible? Even reputable sources. You think, man, I got two different answers there. What do I do? How do I move forward? All of these different uh, uh, um, uh, echo chambers that we can surround ourselves in, uh, Hollywood celebrities, the government, all of these things, they are not God's word. Have you considered God's word in your decisions for your everyday life? And the big ones that only come once uh, once around every little while. The Bible here, this is God's word for us. It's why I preach the way I preach. It's why I teach the way I teach. I can't give you what you need from me And neither can any teacher here at Centennial, and neither can any person on this planet. They cannot give you what you need from them. Only God can give you what you need from himself. Only God is the fountain that doesn't run dry because he is that infinite source. That's what he tells us in his word. That's what I try to illuminate when I proclaim There are other ministers of the gospel here who would say the very same thing. We are nobodies. We're called slaves of Christ in the scriptures. We simply tell you what your God is revealing. And then you take it and consider it for yourselves. Have you surrounded yourself with people pleasers? Or have you considered God's word when making decisions in your life? Because uh, in it you find our second point. God's declarations. Because as we're thinking about decisions, we must consider God's word, but that's not enough. If, you're, if you say, yeah, I know God's word is there, do you know what's in it? 
we must consider God's declarations, verses 13 through 28 of our text this morning. What decision do you have before you? If you're considering God's word, does God's word address it? Does he make a declaration on it? If so, you're good to go, right? Just like the other one. But it's not always that simple, right? (laughs) That's why we have verses 13 through 28. Uh, Do you know God's declaration? Have you searched for the word on any given decision? Here comes the prophet Micaiah. Initially, he's told not to ruffle any feathers, so he doesn't. Verse 15 of our text, you remember they said, don't, hey, just go with the flow on this one. So Micaiah, knowing what he's seen, he goes with the flow, actually. When he had come to the king, the king said to him in verse 15, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? Micaiah answered him, go up and triumph. Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? Sinful Ahab knows that it can't be this simple. So he presses Micaiah, who divulges a bit more. Well, Ahab, yeah, you're right. I didn't give you the full picture. God is about to judge you. And, well, he's also going to send the people back safe and sound, peacefully, to their homes. More than that, Micaiah reveals God's declaration on the matter, that God was designing, that is, declaring this whole thing with the very purpose of judging Ahab. And we see it in this glimpse into the kingly court of God, where this matter is taken up, decided upon, and then acted out in the earthly realm. And let me just tell you this. God is God. He already knows. He is all-powerful. And so when you see an inner working vision where a courtroom scene is playing out, and he's asking, how, how will you do this? It is for your good, dear Christian. God doesn't need to do that. He's doing it in revelation for you. And so we would do well to pay attention to such things. As we see this heavenly courtroom, this heavenly war room play itself out, and we see exactly what is happening in the real world timing of things, it's at that very point that there's a challenge from one of Ahab's other court prophets, Zedekiah. This is essentially what he asks. How do you know that Micaiah's not lying? Uh, He asks it in a rhetorical way. How'd the spirit all of a sudden go from me to you? You just come in and you're saying an alternative story, right? You're just making something up to please the ears of Jehoshaphat now. You don't, don't believe him, believe us, right? There's that moment. How do you know that Micaiah isn't lying? The finger turns, right, on to Micaiah. It's a good question. How do you know that this is really God's declaration? How do you know? How do you know any of these things? How do you know for your own life? It's a great, great question, one that, one that deserves an answer. And Micaiah's answer is a very simple one. See if what I said comes true. Just wait and see. If what I said comes true, you'll know that my word is kept. If not, well, I'm not really a prophet of the Lord then, am I? Right? It's very simple and straightforward, almost offensively so. Almost should bother us, right? There's, there must be more. There must be more. But there's not. See if what I said comes true. 
God has declared on the matter. Now watch it come to pass. Here's the point. Does God have authority in your life? If you say you believe in God, if you say you believe what he has revealed, do his declarations hold any weight in your life? Because what God has revealed from the very beginning, it has been fulfilled. The prophecies from thousands of years ago, the prophecies all the way through, what we see here and beyond, all culminated in the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth, his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his reign now, they have all been fulfilled and culminated and proven true. See if what I said comes true. God has declared on the matter. We have seen the fulfillment. The time has come. And we have seen it. And so, we believe. By the way, leap of faith. Don't say it about your faith. I have a little note here. Steps outside of the sermon a little bit. It is not a blind leap of faith to believe in the Lord Jesus. No, faith in the Lord Jesus is standing on the solid rock because of what has been fulfilled in the word from the very beginning. It's not a blind leap. Well, Lord, I hope you saved me. No, Lord, you have done these things and so it is that I believe because of what you have given me in your Holy Spirit and revealed as capital T, truth. We see this very micro-revelation of that reality, that see if what I said comes true. We see it in Micaiah, where he gives the word on one little battle and one little king, but in his word is the very truth of God given to him by God, and so it is for our good and benefit to pay attention and see what is the bigger picture. And here it is. It affects us how we move forward in life. Do God's declarations... God's words really have authority in your life. We describe God's word in our denomination and, and others that, uh, that partner with us as the perfect rule of faith and practice. But have you considered that in the decisions you make on a daily basis, let alone the big ones? Have you considered God's declarations? Do you know what God's word says on any given thing, whatever it might be? There's a lot there, a lot to study. Do you even have desire to open it up? to see. In seeking to make a godly decision, it's good to consider God's word because in it we find God's declarations. But all of this culminates in God's authority. Have you, thirdly, considered God's control in this world? Verses 29 through 40, our last point. The interesting thing about making a decision is that action is required. Regarding a decision, even inaction is an action. Think about this. When you're invited to your neighbor's house, say for barbecue or something, I, I, hot dogs, whatever, in the backyard, and you say, ah, no, not, not, not tonight, not tonight, I'm, I'm just tired out or something. That inaction is still a decision. In other words, you're always in the game even when you say no, right? That's what a decision is. It's a yes or a no when you boil it down. And this is why people get so stressed about decisions in the first place. You just can't escape them. And even if you could, it would still be a decision to escape, right? Have you ever thought about decisions in this way? This is what often freezes a person in stress and anxiety, leading to mass 
inaction, which is still a decision, which then, like a toilet bowl getting flushed, goes downhill quick because you just fall and you feel like you can't get up because the decisions begin to weigh so heavily upon you and you feel like you're about to break. Decisions, right? The older you get, typically you have more. The more responsibility you get, typically you have more. The stress begins to weigh more as we think through these things. Maybe, maybe you resonate. Maybe you understand what I'm saying. In light of that, have you considered God's control over this world, including you and your decisions? Don't get me wrong. Our decisions are our own, and God is in control. It's a both and, not an either or, and I hope that you saw that in our confession of faith today. Our decisions are our own, and God is in control. We see that in verses 29 through 40. Sinful King Ahab, he hates Micaiah, but it becomes quite obvious that he listens to him as well because he disguises himself in order not to get pointed out by the Syrian king. That way he won't die like Micaiah is prophesying in the first place, right? He's listening to Micaiah, but not necessarily in the right way. Ahab shows a willingness to acknowledge the word, but not the authority of the word which looks remarkably like 21st century Christianity. It is 21st century Christianity to acknowledge the word, but not obey it. 100% can't prove me wrong. You see it in history. This is a representation of that. Instead of repentance and prayer, he dresses up like a foot soldier and puts Jehoshaphat in the crosshairs of God's judgment. What a political intrigue story that is. Can you imagine? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress casual today, okay? You go out. We'll see how that works for you. But after all the enemy eyes fall onto Jehoshaphat, they quickly fall back off of him. I hope you noticed um, how angry the Syrian king was with Ahab. What did he tell his captains? Go after Ahab and nobody else. I don't care about the foot soldiers. I don't care about the captains. I don't care about the generals. I don't care about kings that are with him. I care about Ahab, and I want you to get him, right? That's what the Syrian king said to his people. Verses 33 and 34. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, well, they did exactly what their king said. They turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Randomness in the hands of God is an exact science. Let me say it one more time. Randomness in the hands of God, it is an exact science. There is no questions for God. Only what is to come. The flow of life with its multitudinous variations and variables coalesce to a logical flow and outcome every time even when we can't understand the equation. The innumerable individual choices that we make every single day fit into God's design that he might ultimately be revealed and that his people might ultimately be preserved every time, every way. As Ahab made his decisions, every single one of them was a fight with God. But fighting with God never ends well because God is in control the whole time. Even the fight is part of his design. 
This is why we humble ourselves and seek to bring ourselves into accord with God's revelation. This is why we are astonished when we see that in God's control, it is for our good if we would just stop seeking to do battle with him and turn our eyes upon Jesus, which is the very thing the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. This is why decisions for the Christian, they don't have to be anxiety-laden burdens of stress that weigh us down so heavenly that even the smallest movement in the physical, emotional, or spiritual realm send us into such immense tumult that we separate ourselves from everybody and fall into whatever it is that you do when you're that stressed. It probably looks a lot like others, but it's always a little different. You know what it is that you do in those moments. This is why we consider God's word and the declarations found there, because God is in control and constantly revealing that fact. And even as Micaiah's words were fulfilled with Ahab's death and the people's retreat, God doubles down on his fulfillment and revelation just to make sure you get the point that God is in control, that we should consider God's word, and that we should consider God's declaration. Because one chapter ago and a few years ago, right, at least three, we saw another prophet of Yahweh come before Ahab. And what did he say? Because you killed that innocent man, because you led Israel astray, you're going to die just like him. And the dogs are going to lick up your blood in the very same place. Elijah said that. And so God, with double confirmation, calls on his people to consider his word, to consider his declarations, to consider his control. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. And the dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of Yahweh that he had spoken. Making godly decisions starts with God. He has given us his word, made declarations in his word, and has shown his control over and over and over. But dear Christians, are you in the word at all? I'm not going to say a lot because I know you and I know me. Our a lot isn't so much, right? Are you in the word at all? Do you know that it can aid your decisions on a daily basis for the good? This week, ask yourselves these three questions. Maybe today, maybe tonight, whenever. Go back and look at it on YouTube, whenever you have time. Have I inquired of the Lord first? That's what Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, said. Have I inquired of the Lord first before I do this? It's okay to seek advice to read or listen to other people. But have you personally prayed to your God? When's the last time you've personally prayed to your God about decisions that you have to make? Or have you been putting that off too because that's a little anxiety filling for you? Number two, am I ignoring the Lord? What decisions are you currently making that are simply wrong and that require you to ignore or forget your standing as a Christian? Have you considered how destructive that is in your life? Those decisions that you make, you know that are wrong. Those battles that you fight behind closed doors when the doors are locked, lights are off, everybody's away, and it's just you. You know what the sins are. Nobody else does, but you do. What decisions are you making in that moment? Are you considering God's declarations? And thirdly, 
Have you seen God's control yet? Have you seen it in your life? It's coming if you are a Christian. It's coming for you. God's control. He reveals it. Sometimes in massive ways. Sometimes in the whisper like he did with Elijah. But when you see God's control in your life, when you look back, and maybe you could do it now, and you look back over the 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 70 years that you have been believing, and when you look and you see where God has taken you, where God has removed you, where God has barred you, where God has brought you, what God has done through trial and tribulation and suffering and joy and excitement and elation and sadness and everything else, when you see it, you see it, and you are changed, and you are seeing it right now in the Word. May the Word be effectual in your soul by His Spirit, because that's what's happening here in the Word. God is showing you what He does. He's showing you His own Word, His own declaration, and His control over it all. He does it in your life. He reveals it in His Word that you might believe and that you might go from belief into maturity rather than sitting in that infant state crying out in desperate need. God is there to provide every need and supply. Rely on him and rest in him today. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thanks for your word. It's a whole lot in a little bit of time. But Lord, we pray that you would bless this reading, this proclamation, that we would see who you are and that we would see who we are, and that we would praise you all the more with song, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen.